Jamaluddin Khan, welcome mm. to AccidentalMuslims.com. I know you for about seven to eight years. Yeah. I remember Message Islam, and that time I was running StickTheAllow.com, and so we used to interact with one another via Skype. Yeah, that is our first interaction. Yes. Yeah. Tell me the importance. Let's start by introducing yourself, and then the importance of relationships. Okay, very, very good question. Okay, I'm Jamaluddin Khan. I'm a thought leader, professional speaker, and a leadership coach. And relationships are everything. Everything is built into relationships, whether it's personal or business, anything you want to do. If your relationships are strong, you can do it much better. Over the years, consistently investing in relationships... I've seen the evidence that it pans out. There's always a lot of value. And here's the thing. Relationship building is not an urgent thing. So what do I mean by that? If you know someone and you don't build that relationship, it's not urgent. Nothing's going to happen if you don't call them, if you don't visit them. However, it's important. Right? Now, because it's important and not urgent, it falls into quadrant two. Quadrant two is part of a time management matrix found in the Seven Habits book by Dr. Stephen Covey. And quadrant two is all things that are important but not urgent. So, for example, reading. If you don't read a book, nothing's going to happen tomorrow that's going to be negative or bad in your life because you didn't read that book. Right? So that's why most people don't read. But it's important to read. Right? Building relationships is the same. So I have a... Um, so you, humans are habitual creatures. So we do things by habit. One of the habits I have is that when I think of someone, even if it's 2 a.m. in the morning, I'll send them a text. How are you doing? Just thinking about you. That's it. Right? And when I can, I visit people. So I have, um, I use an app called Wonderlist and I have a coffee slash meetup list, a separate list. And then I have, that breaks down into breakfasts, coffees, lunches, and dinners, right? And I have, there's people in those lists that I want to do those things with, you know, lunches, etc. And uh, because people often say, oh, let's do coffee one day or we should do coffee soon, right? But I actually make a list. So as soon as I can do that, then I do that because I know the importance of building those relationships. So uh, I think it's very important. And, and you know, like you, you just started off saying, uh, you know, we met about seven years ago and the connection was first online uh, and, uh, you know, not personal, but we, we saw what each other was doing and then we connected online, speaking online. And then we met and, you know, now we're here seven, eight years later. And that's that's the power of relationships. Relationship economy. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous about adding mm. economy to it. Okay. You can call it that, right? It's, it's, I don't have a big problem, but there are things that are principle based. Relationships, mm. relationship building is a principle based thing. So, you know, it's, uh, social media, for example, companies offer services called social media marketing, right? But if you Google relationship marketing, similar companies will come up. The social media is all about relationships. 
right? So, but you don't want to economize and commoditize everything. But yes, there is business value within relationships. Um, and, but even personal value. So, uh, when you have a problem and you're stuck and you, you need help, how many people can you contact? How many people can, will wake up to get out of bed to him in the morning and actually help you wherever you are? Right? How many people, so, so for example, uh, with social media, we build global networks. So we build relationships with people, um, in different countries. And not because of me, but be, because of how I am, uh, active in building relationships, people over the years have told me, if you come to visit our country and our city, you will not stay anywhere else. You come straight to our house and live with us. Right? People that don't know me, people I've never met till, till today, I've never met. Uh, but that's the power of relationships. Right? So that's, um, that's very important, uh, in doing anything, uh, in life that you understand the value of people. So the relationship is the connection between two people. But what's more important than the relationship is actually the person. It's actually valuing people. So, um, my work is in, in a few disciplines. One of the disciplines is sales. And when I teach sales teams, there are sales teams in different companies, in different industries. And I'll ask them at the beginning of the session, what business are you in? And people will say, I'm in the automotive business or in this business, or in that business. And I said to them, you're wrong. You're in the people business. If you understand people, you can sell any product to them, right? So when we're talking about relationships, yes, they're very important. But the relationship is simply the word for the connection between two people. And what's more important in that relationship is actually the person that you have the relationship with. So it's about valuing people and validating people, respecting people. You're talking about the um, the horizontal relationship. How has your relationship, the vertical relationship with your creator, constructed your your personal and professional ethos? Has it? Okay, so that's a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I run a daily advice service called Daily Advice. It goes out to several uh, hundred people on WhatsApp and also goes on uh, all the major social media platforms. And perhaps today or yesterday, I talked about the power of spirituality and your spiritual state and um, the spiritual state versus your your body, right? And uh, I talked about uh, that we're actually spiritual beings, right? And the, the, the spirit is housed in the body, right? The body is a medium. And so I believe that the core focus is on the soul, right? And um, I'll share this with you, uh, you and your, your listeners of this podcast, something that few people know. Uh, I ask people, what existence are we in now in terms of um, numerical order? And people don't know. People are baffled by that question. And this is our third existence, right? So our first existence, and this is an Islamic belief, right? So people of other faiths might not have the same belief, but this is an Islamic belief that first all our souls were created, right? And uh, this is in the Quran. Uh, 
where Allah gathered all the souls of every human being from Adam to the end of time. And Allah said, Am I not your Lord? And all the souls in unison replied, Bala shahidna. Indeed, you are our Lord. That was our first existence. Then, we were in the womb. Right? That's our second existence. How we survived and uh, what that looked like is very unique to that existence. And this is our third existence. Then, uh, the Quran says, Kullu nafsin da'ikatul maut. Right? Every soul shall taste death. Not every soul shall die. So the soul doesn't die. So the soul tastes death, but is actually uh, moving from one existence to the next. And that's the barzakh, which is the intermediate life. Right? And that has its own dimensions. And then it's the afterlife. Right? And then we are raised. And for, um, you know, we'll get new bodies. Right? And But the soul is the same. The soul is present in all these existences. Even in the womb. Right? So, and then um, death, in the afterlife, death, the concept of death, right? Or the element of death is converted into a dog and the dog dies. Then there's no more death, right? Because all the verses in the Quran where Allah talks about uh, heaven and hell, uh, Jannah and Jahannam, the, the phrase is used, which means they'll be there forever. Right, so these are eternal existences. So, when you have that understanding, you understand that um, that's the context and that's the paradigm of um, this existence. That this is uh, temporal, and uh, however, there's there's um, a slight deviation here. People often neglect their uh, existence in this life because they say this is only temporary so we go into the next life. I think we should live the best life in this life that we can and strive to do that uh, and I base my opinion of that where the dua in the Quran Rabbana atina fi dunya Rabbana atina fi dunya khasna wa fil akhirati khasna right? So, oh Lord, give us good of this life and good in the next, right? So, good is, everything that is good is good. It's permissible. So, uh, so that's how I see, that's my paradigm. So, a paradigm, um, to use Covey's definition, is um, the way we see the world. And, and it's a very good quote in his book where he says, the world is not as it is, the world is as we are. So... I believe that Islam teaches love and mercy. That's what I believe. I don't believe Islam is about rules and rituals. The rules and rituals are there as boundaries, as protection. But Islam is ultimately about love and mercy. Now, many scholars, unfortunately, they care about people so much that they warn them too much. And they give them the idea that Islam is about fear, right? And so I was in Joburg recently and I gave a talk to a group of teenagers, about 15, 20 teenagers, boys and girls. And uh, they have this session, I think once a month in Joburg with different speakers. 
and none of the parents are allowed in the session. So I was alone with the students. When the session was over, a few of the mothers came to sit with me and talk to me. And one of the mothers said that one of the girls, I don't know which girl, but one of the girls said to her that I can't handle Islam because everything is haram in Islam. Right? Now that's the everything is haram in Islam is that girl's paradigm. But she's been taught that somewhere. Someone taught her that. Someone gave her that idea of Islam. And I think that's a big problem. I think Allah is most merciful. Yes, He is just. But according to Hadith Qudsi, before Allah created the creation, Allah wrote in a book that my mercy overcomes my anger. Right? So I think that's the basis. And in this world, I think we should do our best with what we have and where we are and trying to live the best life that we can here, but remembering, keeping our eye on the goal, right? Keeping our eye on the prize that it is to please the creator, right? To to make sure that whatever we do that is pleasing to us is not displeasing to him. And it's difficult, right? So I falter and we all falter, but it's coming back, right? So Toba, Arabic is amazing, and I, I don't know Arabic, but I've studied it a bit with uh, different teachers, so I know a little bit about Arabic. In Arabic, there's something called ilmu sarf, which is uh, the science of morphology. So words morph into other words, and when you understand the root word of something, you understand the meaning properly. So Toba, we are taught it's uh, repentance. But Taba Yatubu, the root is to turn, right? So it's turning back to Allah. So when you deviate, right, off the Siratul Mustaqim, off the right track, and you do something bad, then you turn back to Allah. So you make Tawbah and you're turning back. So there's always that turning back, right? There's an interesting um, statistic I read, and I shared this on the Daily Advice recently, that more than 90% of the time, an airplane in flight is off course, right? From the second it um, takes off, 90% or more of the time it's off course, but it it does course correction all the time. And and the, the going off course is due to wind and weather, etc., right? So it does course correction all the time until it actually lands at the destination at the right time. Right, and normally flights land reasonably well within the time limit that they specify, and uh, that I believe is how we should live. That uh, we we start at a point, uh, and 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 I I don't think at the point of birth. I think at the time of realization, right when you have an awakening and you understand actually what's going on, and then you have a goal to be um, what what the scholars call. Husnul Khatima, which means a good end. Because you want your end to be good. Uh, scholars will say something like, you know, you, you go into a nightclub, what if you die there? Right? So you don't want to die in a bad place or in a bad state. So so the end is that Husnul Khatima, dying in the, in, uh, with a good ending, but we will uh, go off course. But then we make the course correction, that's the Tawbah. Right? So I, I don't believe that Islam is rules and rituals, like I said. What I believe is that Islam teaches principles. Right? So, yes, the prayer is important. 
Yes, on its specified time, it's important. But what is he teaching us? He's teaching us punctuality. So, so you have to pray, right? So the rule is there. But what is he teaching? It's teaching us um, the importance of punctuality. Then I believe that when you travel, the rules of prayer differ. And I think that teaches us flexibility so that we never become rigid in anything, right? Then I believe that the wudu before the prayer teaches us that things have prerequisites. So I think, so what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to find the deeper lessons in things. So on the surface, everything sees what's on the surface, right? But few people actually dig deep into the depths of something. Right. For example, deviating from the uh, Islamic topic, um, as an example, on a Sunday night and a Monday morning, social media is filled with jokes about Monday and, you know, I hate Monday and all of these things. Right. So wherever I've mentioned this, uh, and I'm glad you're laughing because it, it, you know, it proves my point. Wherever <laughs> I go, people laugh. Right. It's a funny thing. And, and when we see it on social media, we also laugh. Like a few, maybe, Two months ago, I sent out something on a Monday morning called Mona Li- Monday Lisa, right? So it's Mona Lisa with, with like messed up hair, right? Um, and it's funny on the surface, but what's happening deep down? What's happening deep down is that most people in the world are unhappy in the workplace. So I study this. This is what I teach. This is uh, the leadership work I do with people to help them actually change that. And uh, interesting statistic is that the most common day for a heart attack is Mondays, right? Deep down below that joke about Mondays and work and things is actually a very deep-rooted problem and people are dying from it. So that's what I've been trying to do is look deep down and understand actually what's going on. And uh, so I think Islam has a lot to offer um, and understanding Islam in the context of our time is important. One of my teachers, one of my fiqh teachers, he asked his father, who's a mufti in Jordan, about this. And he shared this with me, that in today's time, scholars have an obligation to give people the lightest rule on something. Right? So, what does that mean? Islam is based on a system. Right? Islam is not an opinion. Islam is, um, so in, in, in Aqidah, we have schools of Aqidah in, um, that's a belief. In law jurisprudence, which is fiqh, we have schools of fiqh. And so we have four schools that are, that have survived time, right? So the Shafi school, Maliki, Hanbali, and Hanafi school. But the, the Maliki school, for example, is not the opinion of Imam Malik. It's a school that uh, Imam Malik established a thought process, but there are, there are opinions in the Maliki school that were not Imam Malik's himself. It was of his students or other people in the school, people that came after him. So, uh, in, in the differing schools, right, once from one school to the other, and also within schools, there are differing opinions, right, and some are opinions are tougher than the other. And what this Mufti confirmed in Jordan is that for today's time, scholars have an obligation to give people the easiest ruling. 
because it's difficult to be Muslim today. So we can't be want to be this hardcore, you know, Muslims because it's difficult. So there's a scholar. Um, he passed on maybe, maybe twenty years ago. I'll check. I am not sure the date. His name is Sheikh Muhammad Tilmisani. Um, Sheikh Muhammad Hashmi at Tilmisani. He came from Tilmisani in Algeria, and he was a hardcore person. In fiqh, in every matter, he took the most difficult ruling, the toughest ruling, right? The most strict ruling, and that's allowed in Islam, but it's not for everyone. So um, there are a lot of scholars who don't get that, unfortunately, um, because they haven't understood um, the power of contextualization. So Imam Ghazali said that every text has context. So you, uh, Islam is not about simply taking rules and applying it blanket to everyone. It's about understanding the context of what the situation is. So, for example, the ruling of Islam for stealing is cutting the hand. But Sayyidina Umar said that if there's a famine and that person steals to eat, then that rule doesn't apply, right? That's context. So, um, so this is, this is what I've been trying to do is understand the principles to dig deep. And, and now I'll, I'll swing this back to relationships. Um, I've been blessed to have relationships with scholars for the last 14 years, actually more, uh, uh, that's with international scholars, with, a lo uh, with global uh, local scholars included, it's about 20 years, where I've actually spent a lot of time with them, traveling with them, uh, visiting their homes, eating with their families, you know, studying with them, learning from them. And uh, it's it's been my greatest learning um, window is those relationships. So tying this back to relationships and the power of that. And so when when a scholar is, for example, delivering a Juma khutbah, it's very difficult for him to build a relationship with everyone in the mosque because he's one man. But it's very easy for every one man to take two minutes out of his day to build a relationship with the scholar. I believe that that's our duty. That's what we have to do. And when I um, speak about mentorship and coaching I always tell people don't be a burdensome student don't be the student who just speaks to a mentor or a coach or a teacher or a scholar only when they need something right when they have a problem right but build a relationship so what I do for example I'll I'll speak to a scholar and I'll say where are you doing Juma today right and I'll say okay I'll come there and I'll 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 just be in the Juma just to honor him that I'm attending his Juma or I'll say to a scholar, um, uh, what are you doing this Friday after Juma? Let's do lunch. Right? Um, so, or I'll visit their homes. And I'll build relationships. Or if I'm, um, so, so sometimes um, I'm with people and a scholar's name will come up. At the end of that meeting, I'll text the scholar and say, hey, you know what? I was with this guy and your name came up and, you know, uh, and, and, and I'll talk to them all the time and build that relationship. And that's what's important. You mentioned that uh, daily advice. That yes. I actually quoted that one. Yeah, and I was oh, actually really? going to ask you about <laughs> it. Okay, okay. Excellent. And what, what what particularly caught my 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 eye was the last part, which is uh, work on your body, but work on your soul more. Yeah, yeah. And I found that to be quite uh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because the way I see it, and maybe you can correct me if I didn't see it correct uh, in, in terms of intention, 
it, it speaks to balance. Uh, what's, what's the role does this balance play in your life and should play in whether you're a mentor or a mentee? <laughs> so, I think the word balance is relative, right? I think balance for everyone is different. I'm uh, more inclined to use the word prioritization. So, for example, I have a lot of friends who, over years, I've seen their muscles grow, right? So, I see they, they're big men now, they're very muscular men. And when I knew them, they were like like me, you know, skinny guys like me. But what they did was they worked on those muscles, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, you know, uh, I'm very happy for them for doing that. But prioritization is that what's more important, right? So that's what the end of that daily advice was talking about, is that work on your body fine, right? Uh, whether it's muscular, the muscular portion of that, or whether it's eating healthy, etc. But also look at your soul. What are you feeding your soul, right? So I have a habit of, uh, which I'm embarrassed about, but I'll, I'll share it anyway because it, it helps my story, <laughs> Um, I have a habit of watching TV when I eat. So when I eat lunch and when I eat dinner, that period that I'm eating, the TV will be on, right? And people will say that's not a good thing and whatever, right? So, but you know, that's my embarrassing uh, share for the for the for the show. But the other day, in last week, I watched. There was a show on while I was eating, but it was one of the worst shows that I uh, ever saw it was a sitcom. And I want to, after, you know, um, eating, I, I had to leave for a meeting. So I didn't get the name of the show, right? But it's a, it's about a family. But every conversation that they were having was teaching bad things. It was teaching, you know, that pornography is okay. It was teaching a lot of bad things, right? Now, I'm very glad I saw that because... I, I'm always trying to be aware of what's going on in the world. And that is bad for the soul, right? It's very destructive information. It's actually harming you when you're watching that. I think comedy is, a, so it's a sitcom, right? So I think comedy is a good thing. I love comedy. I think we all should laugh. I think we should be happy people, right? But those negative things are bad for us. Um, so, so there's that negativity that's negative for the soul. Then there's also um, when you don't have commitment to your prayer, for example. Then there's the fact that when you pray, what standard is your prayer? Right? So, for example, my prayer is very weak. If, if you're next to me and you whisper, and I'm praying, I can hear you. But I know two people, my ex-wife and my mother... If they pray, a big explosion can go off next to them. They won't know. That's the level of their prayer. Because they fed their souls enough to be able to get there. How much prioritization do we place on that? Right? So my, my, my recommendation for people listening is that you should study the Arabic at least of what you say in the prayer. So that you actually understand what you're saying. Right? Um, in, in the Fatiha, there's, uh, the Fatiha is, is quite informative in its structure, right? And when you study that and you study the meanings of the words, you actually have a, a difference in your prayer, right? So, um, 
that's a priority. So it's not easy that knowledge just doesn't come to you. It's like it's not given to you or, um, you know, you can't put a USB in you and you'll just know it. You actually have to go and learn. You'll actually have to ask a few questions. You have to study a book or you have to go to a class, etc. Right. So that's prioritization. So the people who are very committed to their health and very committed to um, building muscle, etc., they pay the price for that. Right. Because. It, the muscle just doesn't come after going to the, the, the gym once or twice. You have to go maybe every day or a few days a week for months or years. Same thing, you have to pay the price for your soul. If you want your soul to grow, how much time and effort are you investing in that? So uh, the Quran is called a dhikr, a remembrance. The Quran says, the verse in the Quran which says that salah is there for a remembrance, for dhikr. So what is dhikr? Right? So it's loosely translated as remembering Allah. But remembering what? It's actually remembering that first existence. The time of Allah to be Rabbikum. When we were pure souls. And it's remembering that time. It's um, dhikr is not for the body. Right? So there's things on social media where people say that, so they have pictures of every movement of the prayer and they say what, um, physical benefits there are in those movements. And, you know, that might very well be very true that those physical benefits are there. But that's not the point of the prayer. That's that's a, a secondary benefit. Um, so, for example, there's lights in this room. The primary objective of the light, the light bulb is to give light, right? But if you get very close to them, to the light bulbs, you'll get some heat as well. But that's not the primary reason why we have light bulbs, right? The primary reason is light. So the primary reason of the prayer is to feed the soul, not the body, right? So it's again prioritization. And when you're distracted in the prayer, then you won't get the same benefit. So from the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, the, you only get rewarded for the portion of the prayer that you're actually in concentration of the prayer, Right, which teaches us presence. So there's a there's a very famous person, Eckhart Tolle, who wrote a book. He wrote a number of books, but he wrote one one book, very good book, called The Power of Now, about being present. So I'm sitting here with you, but if I'm worried about my phone and worrying about something else, I'm not going to give you full attention. But the prayer is teaching that. That's the principle from the prayer. So you can have the movements of the prayer, but you're thinking about something else then the value of the prayer is vastly decreased. So uh, so I, I believe that we have to live our best life, but, you know, keeping prioritization on, on what's really going on here. Are we bodies or are we souls? And uh, is this life forever or is the next life forever? And just understanding things in the proper context will help a lot, I think. Define two words for us. <laughs> Okay. One is success, okay, and one is your very favorite word, hustle. <laughs> so let's. So, so firstly, I do apologize. I, I don't I don't know how to give short answers for yeah. anything. Yeah, no, that's right. So um, success, success is relative as well. Everyone has a different view of success. For this world, so I'm going to give you what I believe success is, but it's relative to me. So it might not apply to everyone, right? Success in this world, I believe, is to live a life that you were uniquely created to live. What does that mean? It means living a life of purpose. Because we were all created for a different purpose. 
this this is a bit lengthy, so you must excuse me, but I, I need to connect some dots, right? I struggled with my purpose for 10 years. When I was 18, I had an Islamic awakening. So, alhamdulillah, I was very blessed to grow up in a very traditional Islamic family uh, and never missed, till this day, never seen my parents miss a prayer, right? I think that's a big deal, right? I I think that's success in itself, right? Um, that is what, what, what is called istiqama, steadfastness, right? Never seen my parents miss a prayer. And when I was 18, I had this Islamic awakening and deep desire for knowledge, right? So my parents are what is called abid, right? They're worshippers, but they're not alim. They're not uh, knowledgeable. They're not scholarly people, right? So I got interested into knowledge um, and, and there were, you know, reasons why that happened. But I got interested in knowledge, started studying quite a lot on my own, then started accompanying scholars like Imam Idris Muhammad of Maitland Mosque. He's still the Imam of Maitland Mosque. Spending time with him at the mosque, spending time with him at his home, and then spending time with many other scholars and then spending time later with international scholars hosting international scholars, spending, you know, uh, days and weeks with them. And during the early period of that, I started to be to question who I am and why I was created and what my purpose is. It was a frustrating time. And the reason it was frustrating is that I was not happy that I wasn't a scholar, right? That my dad didn't send me when I was a young boy to go and study and be a scholar, right? Because scholarship, I believe, is a 20-plus year affair, right? Because it's not a, it's not an easy thing. So, so there are people today who are not scholars, who are taking verses of the Quran and giving their own commentary on it, but they don't even understand Arabic well, right? And they they trying to disprove a fourteen year hundred years of scholarship, right? I think that's a big problem. So I wasn't a scholar and I was frustrated, and it took me ten years reading lots of books, speaking to lots of teachers and mentors, and doing lots of introspection, until my my, my purpose was clarified for me. And um, so, you know, it's a long story, all the detail about that, but, but suffice to say, after 10 years, I had clarity. So, I know my purpose. I know why I was created. Now, let's look at what the Quran says. When you ask someone what the Quran says, or and scholars often quote this verse, that, um, Verily, we have not created jinn and mankind except to worship Allah. Now, what is worship? <laughs> right? The word ibadah is used. Right? So, worship is everything that is in submission to Allah. So, Ibn Abbas is the cousin of the Prophet. Ibn Abbas is known as the Khabar of the Ummah. He's known as the great scholar of the Ummah. And this is because the Prophet made a specific dua for him. And also when he was asked why he became such a great scholar, he said because of two things. A questioning tongue and a reasoning mind. So Ibn Abbas, best mufassir of the Quran, after the Prophet, he said, that that verse means, Liabudun means to know Allah. And why did he say that? Because scholars say that you cannot worship Allah 
without knowing who he is. So, and we know Allah through his names and his attributes. Putting these things together, now I'll quote something else, right? So these are dots that I've connected for myself, which has helped me. An early scholar said, Hassan al-Basri, one of uh, the Salaf, the early generations of Muslims, he said that, uh, Whoever knows himself knows his Lord. So let's backtrack. The Quran says we created to worship. Right? Ibn Abbas said that worship means to know. Hassan al-Basri says, if you know, uh, if you know yourself, then you will know your Lord. So I believe knowing yourself is the key to knowing your Lord and knowing your Lord is the key to worshiping your Lord and knowing and worshiping your Lord is the key to why you were created. So that 10 year struggle was Allah's gift to me. And I'm very happy that I didn't give up on my ninth year or just, you know, ahead of the goal. So now I know I was created. Now it's a done deal, right? I know exactly why I was created. And I think that's maybe 1% of the people on the earth, right? So Alhamdulillah, I feel very blessed. But people have asked me, how do you feel now that you've discovered your purpose? I say I have two emotions. The first is that I feel relieved because it was a 10-year struggle. But number two, I feel overwhelmed with a responsibility. So I have a responsibility to help, to help other people find their purpose. Right? So that to me is success. If you know why you were created. Some people were created to be medical doctors to help save lives, right? I've never saved a life in my life. I have a cousin, Mishka, who's 23 years old. She's saved many lives before. She's a paramedic. And she's very good at that. I believe she was created to do medical work, right? And medical work is broad. I believe she was created to do that. So many people are created for many things. So that I believe is success is if you discover and unlock this is again something in the depths that you have to dig for, right? If you unlock what you were created for, then I believe that's success because it will give you fulfillment and happiness. Now, why do I say that? Because success is a science, right? So if you replicate what someone successful has done, then you will likely be successful in that area. That's why people study autobiographies, right? That's why people study people's lives. But you won't necessarily be happy and fulfilled, <laughs> Right? That's why you have very successful people, multi-millionaire, billionaire people who commit suicide. Because they're successful in something, but they don't have happiness and fulfillment because they don't have purpose. But when you find success within what your purpose is, then you'll have happiness and fulfillment. And then it's a done deal. Okay, so that's, that's success for me. <laughs> now hustle. I started using the hashtag hustle on social media. And then I had a a lecture stint at Ipsa College, so Islamic Institute, and I guest lectured the students there. The two the first two were very formal lectures, um, but the third one was very informal, so I sat around with the students and we talked and things. And I discovered a few things from them, but one of the things I discovered is that they think money is a bad thing. Right? That, you know, we shouldn't be wanting money as Muslims. And I think that's a very big problem. 
So after that day, I changed the hashtag to billionaire hustle. Right? And then people start sending me messages like money is not everything and all of these things, right? So I, I've changed it now. Currently I use the, the hashtag respect the hustle. Right? But I have, um, um, I have a list of, um, things I need to write. I have a list of papers I need to write. So I'm currently writing a paper on professional speaking. And then I have a list of ebooks I need to write. And then I'm also writing a proper book that I want to, inshallah, publish a book on my life to explain this whole purpose thing and all of this. All of the, like I gave you just like, you know, an overview. But inshallah in the book will cover all the detail. And one of the ebooks I want to write is, is called Respect the Hustle. And I want to talk about this, right? What I mean is that we, uh, what the Quran says, you get what you strive for, right? And I think far too many people want far too much that they're not willing to work for, right? So I believe that we should work very hard. Uh, and so um, I learn from the from Western philosophy academic business and I and I study Islamic philosophy right so I'm going to give you examples from both so you understand what my context is and what my paradigm is right because I see the world the way I am the way uh, through the lens that I've learned so there's an entrepreneur called Gary Vaynerchuk who's in the US where I've been following for about eight or nine years now uh, purchased his books and his audio books and have been following his videos online and following his story. And he talks a lot about hustle. And he works 18 to 20 hour days. Right? He's always been saying that. And now he has a video camera, um, a guy with a video camera following him around and actually proving this to people. Not to prove it, but to actually inspire people to work hard. That's what he's doing. And many years ago, he used this, this term that I'm going to use now. He said, you should work so hard that you bleed out of your eyeballs. <laughs> right now that's a scary scene right and it's obviously not literal but he's he's, he's emphasizing how hard you should work and he's a you know he was from an immigrant family or he's a he's from an immigrant family came from russia and he's a multi-millionaire right but that's his goal that's what he wanted and that's what he's working for and i respect that then i've spent time with scholars right muslim scholars uh, scholars from international traveling with them and local scholars being in their homes. Scholars have little free time. I don't know if people know this because their phones are always ringing. People are always knocking on their door. They're always studying. They're always preparing the next khutbah, the next talk, the next class. They're very, very busy people. And so I see the same in the business world, whether you have um, dunya aspirations or whether you have Akhira aspirations. Um, there's a scholar, friend of mine, one of my friends and teachers, Mawlana Abdurrahman Khan. He's the Imam of the Gallandale Mosque. He was in Tarim lately, maybe a month or so ago. And when he came back, he wrote on Facebook, I've never seen anyone work harder than him. Right? And he was referring to a scholar in Yemen, Habib Umar bin Hafiz. And because scholars don't rest. One of the... Um, very famous uh, Shafi scholars, Imam Nawawi, right? Many people know his 40 Hadith, Arba'ina Nawawiya. He's very famous for that. And he also wrote Riyadu Salihin, a collection of Hadith. 
So he's very famous and he is an accomplished scholar. And in one of his books, he wrote this quote. He said that there was a two-year period. So this, this gives me goosebumps. It makes me, you know, really excited, actually. He said for a two-year period, he did not sleep reclining. Two years, he was busy with intense study and work, right? He did not sleep reclining. So, so here's how I pictured it. But I'm not going to tell you how I pictured it from my imagination. I'm going to tell you from an example. There's a scholar from the U.S., Sheikh Yahya Rodis. He's a white man. He became Muslim uh, some years ago. He studied in Yemen. He's now an Islamic scholar. He travels the world. Someone who was studying with him, another scholar that was studying with him in the early days in Syria, said he used to do that. So I can't say for what period he did this, but it was reported that he would sit with his back against something with a cushion and study. And he would fall asleep like that. And he'd wake up again and just start studying again. And I picture him, I'm now we'll be doing that for two years. Right? So, um, that's what I believe hustle is. I believe it's hustle is working hard as much as you can in order to achieve the goals you want, whatever your goals are. Right? Because the Quran says you get what you, um, you get what you strive for. So, so people talk about work-life balance a lot lately. And people tell me often, you're going to burn out or you must relax or, you know, all of these things. I used to tell you that as well. Yeah. So, so, so here's my view. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in life integration. 